Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Keith Brooks, the program's director for environmental defense. We kind of forgot about the environment, didn't we? There used to be a time not so long ago that using less oil was about more than sticking it to Russia. But Ukraine is the latest in a long line of crises over the last few years that have forced us to take our eyes off the prize. The fate of planet Earth. Just in time for this podcast, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released another report last week, which was described by UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez as, quote, an atlas of human suffering and a damning indictment of failed climate leadership, unquote. Since all politics are local, it forces us to ask the question about the current provincial government's record on fighting climate change, especially with a provincial election now less than three months away. The report card on environmental issues is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. The provincial response to the COVID-19 pandemic will undoubtedly be the issue of the 2022 provincial election, but that doesn't mean environmental issues should be ignored. Even in the midst of the pandemic, the provincial government under Premier Doug Ford has been very active on that file, including organizational changes to Ontario's conservation authorities, who are now trying to work out new service agreements with their municipalities. Before that, the Ford government famously dismantled the province's clean energy initiatives and literally dismantled wind turbines, which have come with a great monetary cost. There has also been their support for new highway projects, the removal of tolls and license renewal fees, the court battle against the federal carbon tax, mixed messages with the green belt and electric vehicles, and the expansion of the use of ministerial zoning orders, or MZOs. Of course, these issues have been discussed in the media and among environmental activism groups, especially those changes to the MZOs, which have more often than not been defeated in the court of public opinion. While many municipalities in Ontario have made commitments to end sprawl and move towards a more sustainable future, Guelph included, the provincial government has seemed stuck in the past. In fact, the Auditor General of Ontario reported back in November that in the last two years, the Ontario government has only completed six out of 22 recommendations to improve climate outcomes. If you're starting to feel that the Ford government is not as committed to fighting climate change or protecting the environment as they should be, you're not alone. And this week we're joined by one of the people who's very concerned about that lack of action. Keith Brooks joins us on this edition of the Guelph Politicast to talk about what grade he's giving the Ford government about their environmental actions over the last four years whether the environment is going to be a big enough issue in the coming election, and what environmental matters are going to be top of mind for the electorate. We will also talk about whether this election will be phrased as housing versus the environment, the impact of community activism against MZOs, and what Doug Ford might really think about those environmental issues. And finally, we will discuss the environmental stakes of this election, the lessons learned from the pandemic about fighting climate change, and what environmental defense is going to be doing on advocacy before June 2nd. So I caught up with Keith Brooks last week via Zoom. So Keith Brooks, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I guess the best way to start would be if you were to assign a letter grade to the job of the current Ontario government on the environmental file, uh, what would what grade would you assign? Well, I think it would have to be an F. I know they don't really give Fs uh, in school anymore, but 
there's no doubt that this that our current government is failing on the environment in in many ways. So let's talk about some of the ways and you know there are many different ways you can get at. you you know there's everything from pulling out of green energy projects joining the suit against the carbon tax but i mean there's also smaller things like mzos well maybe that's not such a small thing but things like rearranging the the conservation authorities while yeah. we're in the, the middle of fighting the pandemic i, I guess is it how overwhelming is it from from your standpoint as an environmental activist to like, how do you choose the place from which to criticize? And, and I mean, cause there are so many places to start. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're right. And, and, you know, the, the government is taking us backwards on climate change. They, they canceled the cap and trade program canceled, you know, hundreds of renewable energy projects. Uh, there's a plan now to increase the amount of fossil fuels in our electricity grid, which was largely decarbonized. Uh, yeah, they fought the federal government on the on the carbon price, uh, all, all kinds of things, brutal things on, on climate. Uh, and they have no real plan to fight climate change. They may, did make some announcements recently that, that are actually pretty good around reducing emissions from steel plants. But other than that, there's basically no policy in Ontario on climate change. And that's a real problem. And then there's all the land use planning issues. There's, you know, multiple attacks on the green belt, which we've managed to thwart. But yeah, this, this use of, of MZOs to override the planning process, changes to the Conservation Authorities Act, changes to the Endangered Species Act. I mean, there's so many things. If you care about the climate or you care about land or you care about water or air, <laughs> you should be upset with where this government is going. And, you know, I mean, we as an organization, you know, in, in, many, in many areas, we're a policy shop. Like we kind of mm. try to work with governments to devise good policies to protect the environment, to fight climate change. Although with this government, we're not so much a policy shop because they're not interested in good policy. They're not interested in hearing from environmental stakeholders and kind of working together to solve these problems. And so, you know, where does our energy go? It, it has to go to supporting people on the ground that are being directly impacted by the direction this government is going on the environment. And that means the threats of building new highways of paving over the green belt, of the, the threats posed by, you know, new sewage treatment plants, uh, the threats posed by by aggregate operations, and of course, you know, the impacts of climate change and how that's going to be felt here in Ontario. I heard somebody, and I can't remember who, so I can't credit them properly, but they talked about Doug Ford's politics as kind of reactionary. Uh, a problem falls in front of him, and he responds. So something like high gas prices. His immediate reaction is, "Well, we got to cut the gas tax." Um, even though that hurts, you know, municipal funding for transit, uh, makes it more appealing to drive, puts more cars on the road to impact the environment. So from your point of view, do you think Doug Ford thinks about the environment like at all when he's developing policy or when he's talking about policy? I don't think that the current government is environmentally minded at all. I mean, there's talk about caring about litter and parks and they rebranded the Ministry of, of Environment, it used to be Ministry of Environment and Climate Change, the Ministry of Conserva Environment, Conservation and Parks. And it's like, that's what the environment is about, is about litter and parks by and large. And I think they've had to begrudgingly admit that climate change is a real issue. And that's why they're now talking up this, this deal around green steel and building more electric cars. But in Ontario's first budget, you know, they had an automotive strategy in there and the word electric car did not appear once. And it, and it, it was like conspicuous in its absence as though someone went through the budget and said, 
every time we talk about advanced you know vehicles we need to write like cross out the word electric car because they don't want that to be part of the future the word renewable doesn't doesn't appear and all that kind of stuff so they've been pushed into accepting that that is um you know something that ontarians expect and that every government must have some kind of climate policy in the window so i, I do want people to realize that you know this it, the steel announcement's good, electric car manufacturing is good, but Ontario is way, way, very, very far away from having a real plan on climate change. We are among the worst provinces in Canada now and we're dragging the country back. Um, but I also, I think that the, this government did have an agenda with respect to the environment. And that agenda is about blasting more holes in, in the Niagara Escarpment and around the Greenbelt. You know, they had a, a summit of, and, and asked the question to aggregate operators, to, to quarry operators and gravel pit operators to say, how do we create more jobs in this industry as though as though that's a concern? Uh, but that's the plan. Blast more more holes in the escarpment and more holes up in and around and around Guelph and Fergus and Alora and all those places uh, to mine that rock so you can build roads and, un and you know, give the keys to the province to developers as well, unleashing sprawl, expanding urban boundaries uh, to eat up all of the space that's left, you know, inside of the green belt that's not currently slated for development. I mean, this was the agenda was literally it's mine rock, build roads, fuel sprawl. Right. And it seems like kind of circumstances have lined up in that favor, too, because I can see there being a debate in the next few months about housing versus the environment. This the whole idea is like, well, we need yeah. more housing to lower housing prices. So yeah. what do you value more, a cheaper house or, um, a, you know, a thousand hectares of trees? Right. And it's that false choice that we're being pushed into as though we need to choose between, you know, affordable housing and the environment. And it's similar to that, you know, economy versus environment. Like, what are you what are you going to choose here? But it's completely a false choice. There's more than enough space to, to, to build, you know, affordable housing, more housing within existing urban boundaries. We don't need to be pushing out into green space. And, and the truth is, is, is that if you just have market-driven policies, you're not going to reduce the house, the price of, of housing. I mean, we know that developers are banking land and they unleash, they, they, they open it up to development only when they get the price that they want for, to sell these properties. They're not interested in affordable housing. They're interested in making massive profits. And, and the biggest developers in Ontario are extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. And they've locked up the land around these highways, they've locked up the land that's in the so-called white belt. Um, they stand to profit massively from the expansion of urban boundaries and the construction of new highways and all of this kind of stuff. And they are not gonna be creating affordable housing. If we want affordable housing, we need policy to ensure that there is affordable housing. And, and we also, we actually know, we, we asked people in Ontario, we did some polling, you know, people would rather not live in somewhere where they're dependent upon a car to get everywhere they need to go. They'd rather live in a community, you know, where they can walk, where they can cycle, where they can take transit. But if we just kind of go with this developer-driven sprawl model, we're forcing car dependency on another generation of Ontarians. And that's hugely problematic too. So, you know, there's policies that can lead to affordable housing. We're being pushed into a false choice. It, it's, and, you know, new highways also, they don't alleviate congestion. They put right. more cars on the road and they fuel congestion. Right. I mean, but I, I feel like there's a cognitive dissonance there too, because a, a lot of people will agree with that. We need fewer cars on the road. We need more, you know, walkable communities, 15 minute communities, things like that. From, you know, just the, the, the examination of the politics here locally in Guelph, and I imagine this is true in other places, a lot of people think that 
the first step should be taken by others. I don't want to give up my car, but my neighbor, he can give up his car and take transit. And I feel like this is kind of the friction where the uh, a, a sort of pro-development government like the Ford government can thrive by, by manipulating yeah. that friction. It's not about giving up your car, though. It's about having options available to you, really, right? Like that, you know, you live somewhere where you could get on a bike and, and get and get to what you need, or you could walk to the store to get what you need, or there is transit available if you want to take it. I, I live in Toronto. I own a car. I, I rarely drive it. I only drive my car to get out of the city to go longer distances, because for me, it's more convenient to walk, take transit or cycle to get what I need. And I think that's the thing is people want, I should be able to have a choice. And, but if we kind of build these, these sprawl uh, communities, people don't have a choice. They're forced into car dependency. They have to drive just to get groceries or go to a restaurant, have to drive their kids to school and they have to drive to work. I don't have to drive to do any of those things. And I think that's, that's what people want. And we can build communities like that, but we have to be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. I wonder though, if, I guess, do we have the time, right, in order to have these like open conversations? Because so much of it about even the the the, the expansion of the use of MZOs is about we have to do this quickly. Um, this, ha- you know, we can't be bothered with your even, I would say, moderate planning <laughs> procedures. Uh, having sat through a number of planning meetings myself, um, I guess how how do we kind of accelerate? those conversations so that i mean because the problems exist right now right yeah um you know something like regional transit let's say when i want to talk i have a specific question about regional transit in a minute but you know there's no option for regional transit in some places and so people will take the first option that comes up so i guess how do we how do we massage the conversation so that we're talking about where where we can go five years hence when all people want to talk about is the next five months yeah, I mean, it, it is a tough thing. And I, I will uh, agree, you know, that it's not just this government that I mean, this government inherited a bit of a problem around affordable housing in particular, and this kind of, um, you know, morass, we find ourselves on transit, right? Like, and, and these, all of these things have been very electricity is another one, all these things have been so politicized, we haven't been able to kind of plan well for the future. And every government that comes into power has their own plan, and they and they upend whatever was going on before. And so we kind of kind of get stuck in this gridlock all the time. Uh, and there's an urgency now, right, to build transit, to build more housing, to do all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I don't have a good a good answer for you. I, I think we do need to put in place good processes, though. I think that um, uh, there are there there is there's lots of room to build more housing. Um, and you know, I mean, there's there's a, a plan now, or there's a document circulating about you know affordable housing. Uh, it has some good ideas and it has some bad ideas too, but like, you know, moving, removing this ex- exclusionary zoning, what they call it, you know, so that we can build more multi-residential uh, units in areas that are just zoned for single family residences. I mean, that's a really good start. You know, I mean, we, we gotta be, we gotta be making some things easier to build, but also we can't just have an all of the above approach. We can't just make mm-hmm. it a, a free for all and build everything. Um, Cause that, that, that doesn't get us what we want either. And I think that's, Unfortunately, kind of where the argument is going to that there's too many regulations, uh, not enough innovation, the, the whole myth of red tape as a yeah. universal ill. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. This, this government thinks that environmental regulations are 
our red tape. But, you know, I mean, people are feeling, you know, communities are feeling the impacts of the policies, you know, the use of these MZOs. They're fighting, you know, Stratford fought back against an MZO about this glass plant, you know, there and other communities are fighting back against MZOs. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, I mean, we, we do need good policy and planning in place. We, I mean, we can't just be kind of jumping over the planning process. It doesn't yield good results and it doesn't, it doesn't build support for good projects either. The MZO issue is interesting because a lot of communities, you mentioned Stratford, but I mean, Wilmot Township, there was a proposal for an MZO um, to build like 1500 new units in, you know, kind of farmland that was in between two of the, the, the towns, um, the warehouse in Dufferin Creeks that was proposed. Yeah. A lot of these projects didn't go forward. They were stopped. Like, and, and it makes me wonder, are, are, are environmentalists maybe, or people who are just interested in good planning or good oversight, have they underestimated their strength that, you know, they, they can cause the government, whether it's local government or provincial government, to pull the plug on these projects with activism? I, well, I think that we can. And we've, shown, we've shown that we can. Absolutely. Yeah, we stopped that Amazon warehouse down in Lower Duffins Creek and the folks in Stratford stopped that from going through. Uh, this that that glass plan other other things have been stopped as well uh you know aggregate operations there's one uh near milton that got canceled i mean i mean we can stop these things it's hard it takes a, it takes a concerted effort uh and you know we need to apply a pressure to, to provincial elected officials and also municipal right and we have a provincial election coming up in june and there's going to be municipal elections in october as well so this is a good moment to be engaging with elected officials and and, and with candidates as well raising these issues, finding out where they, where they stand on them, because an election is a key moment really through which we can, we can kind of get, you know, a bigger change really, right? It's been tough to fight against all of these changes to policies, all of the damage that is being caused in communities across the province. Uh, it would be better to have, I think, you know, um, a government in power that's more open to environmental protection and more open to community consultation, more open to evidence-based policy making. I think you could make a point, though, that the Ford government has been open to persuasion. And I, I've talked about this with uh, a man, you know, our, our local MPP here, Mike Schreiner. Um, the Ford government can be pushed. They can be yeah. dissuaded. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, it's it's not purely ideological that I mean, there is still retail politics with this government yeah. that can be effective. I don't think there's a much ideology. I mean, there's some ideology around smaller government and lower taxes and things like that. But uh, then on the other side, they're prepared to subsidize certain things and to reward, you know, certain things and whatnot. And there's not really much of an ideology. It's, I think, you know, yeah, a, a populist approach really, right? And kind of leading based on what the polling is telling you is is is, is good pol is is going to be popular. And I think we've seen the government's response to the pandemic really has been driven by you know, pollsters and, and, and been pushed by public health Twitter, quite frankly, as well, really, right? I mean, the pylon from public health experts has been forcing the government's hand all along. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they poll on, on like, oh, should we open restrictions now? Should we do this now? Is this, how's this going to go? And, and they're looking at, you know, where they're, what their supporters are thinking about as well, really, right? It's not even about all of Ontario or even the majority of Ontarians. It's really about what's popular with our, with our supporters. And I think there's support for, yeah, I mean, it is about politics for sure. So having said that, I mean, 
is it possible that any advocacy, I realize that there are probably going to be a lot of people out there who are going to, and I, I realize you can't endorse one party or another, but there are going to be a lot of people out there who are going to be pushing to vote out the current government. But on the other hand, I think an argument can be made that you can also advocate to whoever the local conservative, all parties, you can yeah. advocate to your local candidates to make environment a bigger issue. And there's a good chance that there could be a, a positive response too. Yeah, I, I think we should try that. And I think it has worked in some areas. Like I said, there was a, a quarry that was stopped in, in Milton and there's a, um, a conservative MPP there. And the premier even came up and said, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to go forward. And, and that's, despite the fact that they have an overall arch an overarching policy to support more quarries and to support more aggregate extraction. But the one in Milton, they said no to because of the politics of it, because the local people who had voted for, you know, that person said no. And same thing with, you know, stopping the green belt, the attacks on the green belt is that people um, that, you know, the government thinks are, are, are important to them said, heck no, we can't do this. And they stopped it. Uh, and I, there's other examples too. I mean, Rod Phillips out in, in Ajax, you know, said he was going to uh, support the protection of, of a creek called Carruthers Creek and that, you know, it should be included in the green belt. And that was again about local politics. So yeah, I think we can push uh, individual elected people. If, if you raise the issue, you raise the profile of the issue in your constituency and you, you tell, you know, anybody that wants to gain power that if they want to be empowered, they better be on the right side of your issue then they're going to listen to you for sure. And there could be an about face on the policy side. And in fact, you know, we have a big effort that we're running called yours to protect. And it's all about that. It's all about raising the salience of environmental issues of community issues kind of in local constituencies and bringing those issues directly to elected officials to let them know that the community cares about these things and that these are going to be important things. You know, if, if somebody wants to, to gain power or hold power or govern, you know, in that area, they got to be on the right side of these issues. Having said that, what are the dangers you're feeling that the environment isn't going to be a big issue in the election or maybe perhaps not as big as it should be? Yeah, I mean, we've seen polling. It's still, you know, depending on the poll, it's, you know, it's in the top three or top five issues still, which I think says something because uh, historically, in, in moments like the one we're in now, um, you know, the environment fades quite far into the background. But I think, you know, climate change in particular and, and some of the, the, uh, the impacts people are feeling in their communities too from, from the policy changes made by this government are such that the environment is, is not fading away and is still an important issue. And I think, you know, the pandemic and the healthcare system, people are obviously very concerned about those things. And though it feels like maybe this is coming to an end. We still, there's still a lot of, of, uh, of uncertainty around that really. Right. And we know our healthcare system is taxed and we know the long-term care homes, you know, got decimated and are underfunded and there's a problem there and there's issues with affordable housing. I mean, and now there's a war in the Ukraine mm. as well. So, I mean, there's lots of other things to be concerned about. And of course I forgot about the convoy, uh, <laughs> lots of things to be concerned about really. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, environment, you know, might take a back seat. I, I hope that it doesn't though. And I, and I would hope that every politician knows that, I mean, people care about, about these issues. They do. And it, and it may not be the top issue, but it is going to be influencing where people vote. Absolutely. And I think, 
you know, federal leaders have learned that you need to have some kind of environmental policy if you want to win power. And I think mm. provincial leaders have learned that now, too. I think that's why the current government is talking so much about this announcement around steel and building electric cars, because they need they know they need to put something in the window to say they care about climate change. The thing is, it's smoke and mirrors, but at least they, they at least they know that people care. Mm hmm. I wonder, though, the environment, it, it's such a big, it, it's a little word to, to describe such a big issue. And, and, you know, thinking about how all politics is local politics, we've had an instance, you know, fairly recently, you know, you look at what happened in Brampton with the ice jam and causing flooding. One yeah. could say that's an environmental concern. Um, you know, as you mentioned, EV cars is an environmental concern, green steel, uh, protecting the green belt. We have all these like little environmental problems that all add up to the whole environmental problem. Um, I guess there again, we're, I'm trying to get at that cognitive dissonance. How do you make the local tied like the one local issue? This neighborhood in Brampton is flooding to the the grander sort of environmental problems and the need for more broader environmental policies. Yeah, but that's flooding is a perfect example. We know that we're going to see more flooding is the impact we're going to see the most here in southern Ontario as a result of climate change um, and, and as a result of development, really. Right. If we're not leaving enough green space, if we're not protecting wetlands and forests and things like that, then we're not going to be able to deal with the more severe rainfall events that we're going to get as a result of climate change. So it's land use planning policy and, and climate policy that drive these things. And the impacts are felt locally. They're felt as flooding in Brampton, they're felt as flooding in London, flooding here in Toronto, I mean, all over the place. Um, this is, is the impact and we need to be making those linkages, absolutely. Um, I think increasingly we're seeing that. And I think, you know, there's this new movement around what they're calling attribution science. And mm. we're talking about it a lot more with forest fires, but um, it, you know, it, and hurricanes and things like that. But it used to be that, you know, people said, oh, we can't attribute this to climate change, but we can say that climate change has made this event more likely. Uh, but now they're saying, actually, we can attribute this to climate change. We can say that this, you know, was 50% worse because of climate change, or there was a seven, you know, 100% greater likelihood that this would happen with climate change, or that heat dome in BC, scientists said that would not have happened were it not for climate change. So right. I think we need to kind of get there. And I think the media is doing a better job at making the linkages, not always, but I think some politicians are doing that too. And, you know, certainly as the environmental movement, we're going to talk about that, about these local impacts and how they are a manifestation of, of climate change and of land use planning policies and things that really our government should be taking seriously and, and guarding us against. So what are the environmental stakes of this election? Um, I guess, you know, when we're looking ahead to the next four years and the issues that um, any government is going to have to be dealing with, you know, what are you know, I guess, what are the, the those issues going to be? You know, what should parties be addressing in their platform? What should candidates be talking about if they want to convince environmentalists that they're they're on the level? Well, I mean, I, I, I think climate change is certainly one of them. Like I said, Ontario has essentially no policy in place to fight climate change. I, I don't think the province has any hope of reaching its climate change target. Uh, and that target is actually too weak. I mean, the government canceled the previous government's target. They adopted what was at the time the federal target for climate, which is, but the, the federal target has now been increased. Anyway, Ontario <laughs> is, 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 is not doing well on climate change at all. And I think people should be concerned about that. I mean, 
they say this is, this is a critical decade in the fight against climate change. And if we elect a government in 2022 that isn't serious about this issue, then we don't really have another chance to change that until 2026. So we lose more than half of this critical decade to a government that not only doesn't take climate change seriously, but actually fights against the fight against climate change, really, right? Fights against the carbon tax, challenges all kinds of things, is, is interested in increasing the use of natural gas, all, all, uh, you know, for, for home heating, for electricity use, all these kinds of things, really making our, our, our climate impacts greater and our environment dirtier. And I think that's a big issue. We don't have time to waste on that. I think the urban sprawl is another really big one. I mean, th this government is going through uh, ask changes uh, for, for municipalities to plan out to 2050 now and open up all of this land for developers. And the, the, if you, you kind of let that genie out of the bottle or that toothpaste out of the tube or whatever, you can't get it back in. You're not going to say, actually, we're going to take that back now. We're going to put it back into farmland so that we can have local food. We're going to put it back into protected areas so we have forests and wetlands for animals to live in and that also help with flood mitigation. I mean, you know, this, this is going to be a massive difference for our province. And I, I know, you know, you're in Guelph there. When you drive down to Toronto or you drive out to Hamilton or whatever, like, you know, when you're going through the green belt, you mm -hmm. know, when you're going through the farmland and you know, when you're in urban sprawl, right? Like it's, it's very obvious. And if we, if we don't protect those areas that aren't sprawl, like it's just going to be repeat, repeat, repeat. Like you could just put that reel on and it's the, all the same sprawl, sprawl, sprawl on we go. Uh, our province will be irreparably destroyed, actually, if we let that happen. And I mean, there's other issues too. Endangered species are in retreat uh, and, and, and the government's made it easier to actually destroy endangered species habitat and just pay to slay. How you heard that expression as well. I mean, the list goes on and on. The stakes are high. This is a critical decade for the climate and biodiversity crises. And we'll lose more than half of it if we don't get a government that is serious about the environment. You know, hearing you talk right now, I, I went to Toronto recently for the first time in two years. <laughs> um, and, you know, driving down the 401, it is remarkable how that stretch between Milton and Mississauga has un been unchanged in yeah. the last 20 years. It seems something of a miracle that that is not all built up area now. And that's thanks to the green belt, really, yeah. right? It's, and, and the Niagara Escarpment area is protected and it's beautiful. But, you know, then Mil you get to Milton and Milton is one of the fastest growing communities in, uh, in Ontario. And, and not a bad thing, except that a lot of people in Milton are forced into car dependency, right? They have to drive into Toronto or maybe they're driving into Hamilton or maybe they're driving up to, you know, Brampton or whatever. But they're getting out on a 400 series highway on a daily basis. Uh, and, you know, that's... That, it, that's, that increases your impact on the environment. It takes time away from your family. And also I think commuting like that is aggravating really, right? It makes, <laughs> puts you in a bad mood getting stuck in traffic and kind of knowing you have to go out and confront that every day. And... Well, Milton's kind of like a terrible example of how bad sprawl can get. And I, I can't remember where it was, but I, there was a, I was on a call with a politician from Milton who noted that there's been incredible growth in Milton. Uh, you know, a lot of people have homes in Milton, but, uh, schools, they don't have the capacity for schools. They're like, some areas have like a school missing. They need to build an extra school. They need to build more commercial, more job lands and things like that. And 
I, I, I realize that maybe there may be somebody from Milton listening to this and, and not liking the inference that they're a worst case scenario, but you can go to Milton and, and, you know, look around and see what the impact of, of un, unchecked sprawl looks like, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do the same in, in Vaughn or wherever, if you're coming down the 400, you know, if you, if you ever get stuck in traffic and you get off the 400 and say, and you go onto one of those other arterial roads, you're, you can, you're driving through farmland and, and so, you know, it's beautiful. And there's a sign that says, you know, welcome to the green belt. And then you're leaving the green belt and it's just like sprawl. Like, it's just yeah. like suburb, like suburban development, like boom, boom, boom. Like, and it's just, it's right there, right at the edge. And it's so visceral. And we need to protect that farmland. We need to protect, like, we want to grow food. Don't we want to grow our own food here in Ontario? Don't we want to have some natural habitat for animals? Don't we, don't we need, don't we, we now know we need places to go hiking and walking and whatnot, right? To get outside and enjoy our own backyard. Uh, we need to protect that stuff. And, and, and I think that's a huge, a huge issue that for this election, it should be. And then mm-hmm. there's, of course, the local manifestation of issues, you know, aggregate pits, the highways that are going to go through, you know, certain communities. Uh, there's, you know, issues around around water. There's a wastewater treatment plan in Fergus. I mean, all kinds, there's all kinds of local manifestations of uh, the environmental policies that people care about locally. And I think, you know, in, in addition to those larger issues, people should be raising local issues because I think there, there is some truth to the idea that all politics is local. Uh, you know, since we're talking about local politics, I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out, water bottling. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Water bottling. And I think, you know, the push that the work by Wellington Water Watchers is fantastic uh, to kind of keep that well um, and protect that for future needs. And, and you know, now we've got now Nestle even left town or officially they did, though there's another company that's still doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, but we we even actually made some progress under this current government on on that water bottling issue and got to keep pushing on it. You mentioned the, you know, the pandemic uh, earlier and, you know, the sort of how we've realized the the need for more of that green space for, you know, personal enjoyment, hiking and walking. I wonder, as an activist, um, what the pandemic has taught you and like in terms of the public reaction and, you know, that's kind of a huge existential issue, fighting a global pandemic. saving saving the planet from climate change is the next existential issue um so i guess like what lessons can we learn fighting covid that we can apply to fighting the environment or fighting for the environment i should say (laughs) yeah i uh right yeah well i I had hoped that what we would learn is you know that collective action matters really right like we learned that our our own individual choices you know affect others and that collective action is what we need to do to fight the pandemic i I, I hope that we would have learned that science is important and science matters and we should listen to scientists and public health experts and people that know these kinds of things. I, I also hope that we would learn about the role of government, the importance of government actually to, to provide good policy, to listen to science, to do what's best, even when it can be uncomfortable for people, even when you know, uh, we, we don't want to be in a lockdown, but, you know, the government has a responsibility to govern for the greater good. And I, anyway, those are lessons I hope that we would have learned. I'm not sure that we have. I think instead what we learned is that there are people who will stoke division and, and, and spread misinformation and, and capitalize on whatever they can. And, and you know what, there's also, there are a lot of people who are feeling disenfranchised, right? People who are feeling like, 
things are getting worse and they want someone to blame and they end up blaming, you know, the, the, the current, the federal government really, uh, or they blame environmentalists or they blame scientists or whatnot. And I think that backlash and that polarization, I mean, that's the, the other lesson that we learned and, and how we're going to, you know, try to, to work through that, to bring everybody in to, I mean, we always, when we talk about climate change, we talk about this idea of a just transition and we, we try to make sure that there's social policy and economic policy that makes sure nobody gets left behind in this. But I think we're, we're not quite succeeding there and, and, and we need to, I guess, do more to offer a greater olive branch to make sure that everybody sees that this is about our collective goodwill uh, or, or collective, you know, prosperity or ability to kind of enjoy a good life, you know, today and also for importantly for future generations. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I was I was hopeful initially that we would learn good stuff from the pandemic, but maybe we will yet. Maybe we will yet. I like the optimism. Um, maybe in, as we sort of heading to the election and uh, during the election itself, you know, what is environmental defense planning on on doing? Like, what kind of campaigns or sort of awareness efforts are, are you guys looking towards? Um, yeah, I mean, we are working on a lot of the things um, that I mentioned. We're working to stop this sprawl, and we're working in a bunch of municipalities, uh, trying to get them to adopt a no sprawl motion. And so this has happened now in Hamilton and then Halton, and and it's mostly mostly uh, areas that are are uh, on the Toronto side of the green belt, not out where Guelph is. But um, yeah, we're stop we're trying to stop sprawl and protect green space, and we'll continue to protect the green belt as well. Um, we are, we're, we're, uh, fighting against these MZOs or just, I mean, particular sprawl MZOs that are, that are actually further afield really, right. But these are opening up big developments, you know, in Innisfil and all kinds of places. And, and, and we want to, we want to fight against those, those pieces. Um, we're, uh, we're also running an, an initiative called yours to protect where we're trying to help community groups, wherever they are, figure out how they can raise those local issues, you know, uh, in their communities, and try to push locally elected officials or, or, or anybody that would, you know, want to govern there to get on the right side of whatever that, you know, stop that quarry, uh, stop that, you know, uh, water bottling plant, stop the highway kind of thing. And I guess that's the other one too, is we are leading a big push on the highway, on highway 413 in particular. Uh, the government has said that's going to be an election issue for them. All the other parties have said if they were to come to power, they would cancel the project. So this election really, I mean, the future of that highway hinges on this election um there's other pieces that may yet block it but the election is a sure thing that could block it mm. and then on climate policy as well of course we're pushing for more climate policy and raising the salience of that and so you know we really want we're actually going to be organizing or we're going to be assisting people with kind of doing some community days a community day of action probably around around earth day uh, or the weekend following Earth Day to kind of rate, like to get out and show your support for the environment, that you care about the environment and that you know this election matters to the environment in your community. And I think there's also talk about there being, you know, a big um, a big event in, in, in Toronto at Queen's Park as well, just around the election to kind of raise the fact that this election, the environment matters a lot. Um, so yeah, we're just going to be pushing on the issues, trying to connect with communities, and trying to turn people out to support the environment and, and encourage people like, you know, your vote matters. This, this election matters. So use it wisely, please. That's a good place to leave it on uh, to be continued, though, uh, given the issues at hand. But uh, Keith Brooks, thank you so much for all your time today and for your activism. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a good chat. 
And once again, that was Keith Brooks. To learn more about environmental defense and their various programs and advocacy efforts, you can find them online at environmentaldefense.ca. To learn more about environmental issues and their bearing on the upcoming provincial election, the Guelph-Wellington Coalition for Social Justice will be dedicating one of their informed democracy town halls to the topic, and it will be on Wednesday, April 20th, better known as Earth Day. You can send them an email at informeddemocracyseries at gmail.com to get more details. And that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send me an email at AdamADonaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.